You are about to hear the most interesting, informative, thought-provoking, opinion-leading, and funny show in America, on air and on the World Wide Web. This is The Rob Carson Show. Well, we are back. I am... Andrew Langer in for Rob Carson today. Uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, Jerry Callahan, who had been filling in, he's sick. We wish him a speedy, speedy recovery. And I know everybody's looking forward to having Rob back in the studio uh, soon. In the meantime, in the meantime, you got to put up with me, uh, Andrew Langer. Uh, I am the host of uh, Andrew and Jerry Save the World and my lunch hour podcast on the Federal Newswire. Go and check that out in depth. Uh, interview shows. In fact, this week uh, um, I sit down with Paul Teller from Advancing American Freedom. We talk border security, spending a lot of time talking about property rights issues. So, uh, you know, and other and other things. A lot of time talking about regulatory issues. So go and check that out. Uh, you never know who you're going to get. Every once in a while, I may even have somebody who's uh, not uh, not necessarily conservative. I had on um, uh, Bob Levy from the Washington Post a while back. Leon Panetta came on a little bit ago. So uh, go and check that out as as well. Meanwhile, you can uh, join the conversation here on uh, the Rob Carson Show, 1-800-922-6680. You can also message me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Andrew Langer Show, or uh, or go ahead and message me on on Twitter uh, at Andrew underscore Langer on Twitter. Um, I uh, uh, you know we got uh, got this from uh, from Marty talking about chaos and uh, if this is chaos, what do you call the Continental Congress and the Constitutional Congress? Well, no, those are those are chaotic as well, Marty. To to say the least, that uh, that's exactly exactly what uh, well not there's a difference now. You know, when you're forming a nation, you expect there to be some chaos. Um, you would hope that things would simmer down a little bit. But but again, right, democracy, and I know we're not a pure democracy. That's why we have a constitution. But democracy is messy. Um, and that's why our constitution exists, so that so that it protects and preserves individual rights. So let's go to the phones. Uh, as I said, you can join us, 1-800-922-6680. Let's go to Mark in Annapolis. Mark. Good morning or good afternoon. Welcome to the Rob Carson Show. Good afternoon. Thanks hey. for taking my call. Um, as you said, we're, we're working on forming a more perfect union. Let's not forget, you know, when when a house gets old, we tear down some walls, knock out, knock out the sheetrock, knock down some studs, and rebuild or build it back up and expand and open the rooms up, and that helps right. to make a more perfect house. That's what's happening now. It things do go awry where we got to tear down some things to make it better or improve on it. Un- unfortunately. As the Republican Party is right now, I don't even know if they're the Republican Party conservatives. <laughs> what they're doing is they're tearing it down and not having a place to live. Usually right. you're, you're doing it with some order. And what we've got to be extremely careful is, again, because we, we want to still at least demonstrate to the world that we are the best country on the planet. Even when I disagree, uh, my father and grandfather both served in our U.S. military. For me to have the freedom to disagree, to have some dissension. If I don't agree, I think the DOJ is wrong about polit- about charging certain po- people belonging to certain political parties. Or if I think there's some Supreme Court decision that I don't agree with, that's a part of what Amer- make America makes America right. great. So there, there's no problem with people having dissension. However, it's the leadership of our country that our dissension is so dis- so fulfilled with that they can't get things together. How does Republicans expect that anybody would join their team when they can't pick a captain of the baseball team? <laughs> you know, how, can that's anybody, how, how can anybody decide to follow them when they're not... How can you, how can you follow you a know, leader when they're not good followers? 
It's interesting you, you say that because the one thing that I've been reminded of, Mark, um, are you a hockey fan at all? No, not at all. Oh, all right. Well, no, no, no worries. No worries. I don't think you need to be. But you remember that back in 1980, we had this miracle on ice hockey team, right? Correct. I do remember. Okay. And and the reason why we were able to win that championship, why we were able to win that, win the gold medal, but most importantly beat the Soviets, is because we had, A, a leader in a guy named Herb Brooks, who was the coach, and he did what he had to do to get his players all on the same team. Uh, you know, it, some of it came down to is they wanted he wanted all of them to hate him, and if they all were unified against him, well, then they were at least coming together, and then, then eventually they sort of recognized that. And as they were being chaotic on the ice, one of the things he said, and they and and they had the the players kept a notebook of all of his sayings, and I'm going to have to paraphrase it because I can't say it on a family friendly show like Rob Car- Rob, Rob Car- uh, Carson's show is. But he, he used to say when they would get chaotic out on the ice that the players were playing, they look, when they played, they looked like a bunch of monkeys trying to have, shall we say, familial relations, um, uh, connubial relations with a football out there. Wow. And, and that's, to me, that's where we are right now is that, you know, we could set aside, set aside the debate of whether or not McCarthy should have been replaced as speaker, or that he did a, did a bad job as speaker. I mean, all of those things are secondary to the fact that you, you, you underscore an immutable truth here, which is that they should have had a plan for what comes after. Right? They, they should have, they correct, should have you know, so that we would avoid this, because you are correct. The other part of this is that in a vacuum, sure, you know, if we don't have major issues that we need to deal with, sure, we can have a major debate over over the speaker. Let's take the time to sort of noodle this through and have vote after vote after vote. But if there's anything that this week demonstrates to us, and God forbid something major along the lines of what happened in Israel last weekend, God forbid something like that would happen right now, because the Republicans would need to step up. You know, that's the thing that folks don't recognize. Right, and, and that's an interesting anecdote. Yeah. And unfortunately, the leadership, and again, we're, we're looking to, we're st- well, they've already started a presidential campaign where everybody's running on who they, who we think, who they think we should put in charge. But when we talk about our political leadership, and again, regardless of what party I'm affiliated with, I don't follow people who can't follow or coordinate with each other. It just makes zero sense. And it's not for the betterment of these individuals who we put in office. It's for the benefit of the country. And if you're willing to cut your nose off to spite your face, why should I have you in place? And that's the other part of it, Mark. And listen, I'm going to let you go. I appreciate the the, the call here. Um, the, The, you know... There is the the impetus, right? What is the motivating factor which drives you in office? Is it to serve your constituency and get things done and protect protect the republic, or is it about self-aggrandizement? Is it about self-promotion? And unfortunately, what we now have in our Congress are lots and lots of people who are interested in promoting themselves, right? It's not about making a good policy decision or having a good policy discussion or or saying something that is thoughtful for the betterment of the policies that are being put forward, but it's about what is the hottest hot take that I can find, right? What is going to make me or my image or my video go viral on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or wherever. And when you have that happen, when that's your motivating factor is going viral, that's a problem. And it's something I, I was pointing out, you know, on, on a show that I did the other day where, uh, where, you know, a former Hill staffer was my co-host. 
And and we were talking about this idea is that com- communications directors, comms directors, they call them up on Capitol Hill, the, the press people for Congress people. I mean, we'll get into this with Nan Hayworth at uh, 135. She's joining us today, former member of Congress. The, the, the role of the comms director was to prevent their boss from embarrassing themselves. I mean, that wasn't the only thing. It was to get their message out. But one of the things that a comms director is supposed to do is say, you know something, congressman, you know something, congresswoman, maybe wearing a T-shirt, a tight T-shirt with a big scarlet letter A on it, uh, maybe that's not the right thing to do right now. Uh, you know, let, let's let's think of a better way to get your point that you feel put upon because you voted to vacate the speakership and didn't have a plan afterwards. All right, let's go to well, let's go to Brandy in Baltimore. Brandy, welcome to uh, the Rob Carson Show. What happened? Hello, uh, I, hello, who's this? Are you? I'm David. Oh, David. Hi, David in Elkridge. Well, welcome to welcome to the Rob Carson Show. How are you doing? I'm not sure what happened, but but what's uh, what's going on? What can I do for you? I just wanted to tell you I disagreed a bit with your last caller. While there was a lot I agreed with, there are some very specific things I disagreed with. I've been involved in paying attention to the political atmosphere for the last 40 years. Over the last 40 years, I keep hearing people say, hey, stop, wait, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Take a look at what the people are saying. And the leaders choose not to listen. And they choose not to listen. And they choose, again, not to listen. And then at some point you get so frustrated that you say, well, they need to have a come-to-Jesus meeting and figure out what they really believe. Sure. I believe that is just what happened. That, you know, we didn't, there was no way you could get a plan through with all the rhinos that are only going to vote for the swamp. And the people that are saying, hey, we need to reform some things, hey, we need to do some things a little bit better, aren't being listened to at all. Yeah, but the problem the problem with that, Dave, is that, to me at least, it should have been raised much, much earlier in this process. It's, if you were concerned about the lack the of return... the 20 years, look at Obamacare. But, Obamacare, we're going we're gonna to repeal that. This is what we're going to do. And it never happened. And when well, you have the power to do it, never happened. I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you there. And that's where it comes into making sure that we go and replace those leaders in the general election and make sure that, you know, that they're held accountable for, for those things that they're going to do. Listen, I could have told you. And listen, Dave, I appreciate the call. Um, thank you for the call. So, you know, I, listen, the fact that Republicans couldn't agree on what the problem with healthcare in America is was a pretty good indication that we were never going to be able to re- replace Obamacare. And that, that gets into whole other areas of, of politics that are out there. Tell you what, uh, when we come back, we're going to hear from Brandy, who's a Democrat, uh, and is very afraid that Jeffries is going to be the speaker. I'm Andrew Langer, in for Rob Carson. This is The Rob Carson Show. Welcome back, everybody. I am Andrew Langer, in for Rob Carson. You could join the conversation, 1-800-922-6680. We're talking about the speaker's race right now. We've been talking about it, whether or not, uh, well, whether or not the... Republican caucus is being chaotic, and whether that's a good or bad thing, want to get your thoughts here. Joining me uh, right now is Brandy in Baltimore. Brandy, you're a Democrat, but you've got some serious concerns, don't you? I do have some serious concerns. I will take McCarthy back. I don't want to see Jeffries as Speaker of the House, and there is a strong possibility that could happen. You know, I, I, I don't, I, I know folks are talking about it. Um, I think it's an unlikely scenario. I, I don't think that any 
Now, now granted, right, we did see eight Republicans join with Democrats to oust McCarthy as Speaker. I can't imagine that any of those Republicans are going to join or any other Republicans are going to join with the Democrats to uh, to to install Hakeem Jeffries as Speaker. I, I can't imagine that's going to happen. I understand. But let's get to the substance of it, though. As a Democrat, why are you concerned about uh, Hakeem Jeffries? Well, I am a Democrat, and I say that first and foremost. But um, I probably would consider myself a more conservative Democrat. Okay. Pro-gun, I believe. I'm pro-God, pro-gun, protected at all times. Um, I believe that women are women and men are men. I don't want books in schools that give that have an agenda towards things that I don't particularly believe in. If they want to be in libraries and people's personal homes, that's fine. I don't think they have a place in schools. I don't want to fund wars that aren't for our allies. I want to keep our borders safe. And so I think that uh, Jeffries would help to usher in some legislation that I think would lead our country in the wrong direction. And my people, my family has been here since the early 1800s. I tell people all the time, I'm a foundational black. We've been here a long time. I have a vested interest in this country. I don't want to see it fall by the wayside. And and Brandy and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say you're you you maintain your Democratic um, Party affiliation because in Baltimore you want to be able to have a role in choosing leadership in Baltimore, don't you? Not really. I wasn't oh, okay. conservative, but when Roe versus Wade was overturned, I feel, I do feel very strongly that women should have a right to choose simply because I was a person who had very difficult pregnancies and if sure. If, I was, um, if the choice was between me and the unborn child and I had another child to take care of, I wouldn't government putting legislation in place that would take me away from my existing child. So I, Interesting. I do feel very strongly about that. And I do think there has to be some parameters in place um, for, for abortions also. But, um, you know, Roe versus Wade was, was kind of a, a deal breaker for me because, Interesting. you know, I don't want... The go- I don't want the government really doing anything for me. <laughs> I no, don't well, want them I, I, in my hospital room. It, it is, and certainly on other things, you're, you're, you're not a. I wouldn't call you a necessarily a libertarian. It's a very interesting political philosophy, Brandy, and, and I appreciate you. Listen, you do you. That's the most important thing, and and I, I appreciate the phone call. Thank you very much. Take care. So, uh, by the way, that's what I say as a sign-off for callers, and I mean it, uh, that I do appreciate their phone calls. You're going to hear me say that on the air. That's that's just who I am. I do appreciate the phone calls, especially, as I was saying to some others, especially when I fill in on shows that don't have phone calls. I love talking to people. Uh, let's go to Renee in Odenton. Renee, how are things, Odenton? What's going on? Okay, Andrew. Um, I, I actually, I'm fine with what's going on right now, and... I mean, if we we only have the pro tem uh, uh, speaker, I'm fine with that. It's not like as if we're going to get somebody in that's going to push any kind of conservative um, measures, and it's not going to get vetoed or stopped. So it really doesn't matter at this point. I'm not exactly sure of all the uh, ins and outs of the temporary speaker, but right now it looks like everybody's panicking and they can't pass any more. Big spending bills, so I'm quite fine with that. And and I you know, it's so funny because there was a gentleman who used to run a uh, an investment fund that only invested uh, in in the stock market when Congress was not in session, and I think he would consider this one of those times. Um, but, and 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 generally he would outperform the market. I always loved uh, loved that theory. 
Um, you know, the, the issue is, right, that, that with a temporary speaker, uh, they're, they're, they're limited in power to basically just being able to gavel in and out of the session and select a new speaker. Uh, the problem, of course, is is that all of the other business of the House that needs to get done um, everything is sort of held in abeyance until the new speaker comes in. And I, and I get that, right? As I just said, you know, you, you, they can't do any of the, the bad things, but they also can't do any of the good things. And there are the constitutional responsibilities. And I gotta, I gotta raise this. Listen, maybe somebody could call it and, and tell me I could be, could be wrong here. I'm fairly well versed in constitutional issues, but God forbid if something were to happen and, and the, and the president and vice president right now were incapacitated, uh, the, you no, know, sort of walking down this, Sorry, go ahead. I understand, I understand yeah. that, and that's why it's extremely crucial that the person third in line is someone we all agree with. Right. You know? I mean, love, love Scalise as a person and everything, but is concerning about his health. Oh yeah, no, and, and well, and that was one of the things that I that I had raised. I mean, to me, listen, my philosophy is very simple and straightforward. Setting aside the the cancer issues, I think that if you have literally taken a bullet for your caucus, uh, then you should have the first shot at becoming Speaker of the House. Uh, but but that's that's just me. Listen, Renee, I'm going to let you go there. Thank you so very much for the call. So we're gonna we're gonna continue to have these conversations, um, and we're gonna be joined in a couple of minutes by Nan Hayworth. Uh, she is a member of Congress. We're gonna talk to her about this. I'm gonna ask her about this this very issue uh, about about just what can be done. Uh, what does Having this uh, vacuum in the speaker's role, what does this mean for the business of the House moving forward? The, you know, as I said, there are important things that need to get done. Listen, I want to read this. I meant to read this earlier, and I didn't do it. You know, a little bit here, and I'm so glad that I'm in on Newsmax. President Trump is leading in the polls, but only one network is covering President Trump's events live. That's Newsmax. Millions have made the switch to Newsmax because it's the real news they can trust. I watch it all the time. President Trump says he loves Newsmax, and every night I start watching with Rob Schmidt at 7 p.m. Eastern. Rob Schmidt is, in, is exposing the Biden impeachment truth. All this week, Rob looks at the Biden money trail and the tens of millions that went to his family. Net Newsmax is on all cable systems. If your cable operator doesn't carry Newsmax, call them and demand it. And don't forget to download the Newsmax app on your iPhone or Android. It's absolutely free, and you can start watching anytime. Get the Newsmax app now. Get Newsmax at home and make the switch. You won't look back. That's uh, good, good stuff for, from Newsmax. Doing great work uh, as, a, as a network, both on TV uh, and on the radio. So as I said, going to be joined in a couple of minutes by Nan Hayworth. Uh, she is a former member of Congress from the great state of New York. Later on, going to be joined by Phil Kirpin uh, from American Commitment to the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. More of your phone calls, 1-800-922-6680. More of your messages, facebook.com slash Andrew Langer Show. You can also message me on the Twitter machine, at Andrew underscore Langer on Twitter. And go and check out the work that I'm doing elsewhere, the, uh, the stuff that I'm doing on the Federal Newswire, Lunch Hour with Federal Newswire, Andrew and Jerry save the world and the work that I'm doing on regulatory issues. I'm Andrew Langer. This is the Rob Carpenter. Welcome back, everybody. I am Andrew Langer in for Rob Carson. Uh, you can join the conversation here in many, many ways. Uh, 1-800-922-6680 is how you, is how you 
you, you call us. You can message me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Andrew Langer Show. Uh, you can also message me on uh, on uh, Twitter at Andrew underscore Langer. Uh, got this from um, uh, uh, Baltimore Gina. Andrew Langer, have a great show today. Uh, WCBM 680, have a six, have a have an awesome weekend. Also, uh, 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 Gina says that Brandy is a conservative. I agree. Um, you know, and, you know, very very conservative. And and I appreciated. A, I know I overused that. I appreciated the phone call from her, uh, to say the least. Uh, got this, and I know Nan Hayworth is going to agree with me. Nan Hayworth joining me right now on the uh, Newsmax hotline. Uh, Nan Hayworth, a former congresswoman from the great state of New York, on the board now of the Independent Women's Forum. Uh, Nan, uh, a listener Chris writes in, it was a great day when Sk- Steve Scalise went back to work. Uh, and I know, you, I know you would agree with that, certainly. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, well, I, well, I mean, I agree that when Steve went back to work after... Having been yeah, be, grievously wounded by yes, a, that's what a, we mean. Yes, yeah, left-wing domestic terrorist. Yes, um, which of course got uh, very little play in the mainstream media. Uh, sure, but, you know, looking at the House Republican Conference, Andrew, of which I was a member for uh, two years after the big Republican wave, we had the same right. situation. Although not, you know, it's more challenging now because we have a very, very thin. Majority, but to face the Democrat Senate, Democrat White House, still had to get things done. And the challenge, uh, Andrew, as you know, is that uh, the public, Americans, uh, you know, our constituents, voters, uh, don't understand and really don't care about the machinations uh, that uh, go into getting legislation passed or making right. government quote unquote work. Um, and so I don't think they're going to have endless patience for uh, for lockdowns. And I right. think, you know, the folks who are um, gumming up the works uh, right now are understandably, and they have my sympathy, I'd, I'd cut out 80 percent of the federal government if you if you gave it to me to do <laughs> uh, and never bring yes. it back. But that's not where we are. And and that's that's the difficulty. So, you know, Jim Jordan is uh, an incredible guy, but probably the kind of, you know, what they're looking for is, I want someone who's going to stand up to those Democrats and stand up to the swamp. And, and yeah, I, mean, I don't mean to ridicule them. They're, they're not no. wrong. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, about half the country, you know, even if Republicans may be enjoying a bit of a moment, they're going to squander that really fast, <laughs> uh, you know, because about half the country... Uh, is not with them on shutting down the government or, you know, shutting it down for weeks and weeks. I mean, that's, I have a dear friend who was an FBI agent, not retired, and he, he's on our side. And he said, yeah, you know, I, I one of the shutdowns, I went for, you know, about uh, a month without getting paid. You know, they, people don't have an endless appetite for that. And it, and it gets silly because, you know, the Democrats, uh, have two thirds of the process, so they have the automatic advantage. They're going to say, "Well, we pass things, but these silly Republicans won't work with us." And I mean, and in the end, serious. regardless of the reality of the situation, also the press, because the press is so much yes. on the Democrat side, that the narrative Absolutely. gets out there. Let's yeah. let's talk about this because uh, you know where where things are. I, I listen. I didn't think that Scalise was going to drop out as early as he did. I, no, I knew it was going to go yeah. into the weekend. Um, yeah. But let's let's let, so folks understand this. 
Explain a little bit about what isn't getting done that needs to get done. And again, setting aside the spending bills, which, right. you know, we all understand this, but all of the other, the business of the House and more to the point, the Republican business of the House that doesn't get done because we don't have a, a speaker, uh, let alone a Republican speaker. Talk, talk about that. So, you know, the, the job of Congress is several fold. Uh, you know, one of them is to pass big, important laws like uh, governing in immigration. Well, we've been trying to do that forever. But, uh, but they have also these m- more routine things to do, just keeping the federal government in its current configuration going. You know, they, and so they have to pass funding bills. And Congress has the power of the purse, quote unquote, uh, fair enough, you know, the, those bills that fund, you know, our defense and, you know, the Social Security Administration and anything else, you could have national parks, anything else you could think of that's the federal government, uh, they have to start in the House, but they have to be passed by the Senate and they have to be signed into law uh, right. by the president. So so the Republicans are in the House, whatever majority is in the House, is one-third of the process. So they, they, there are committees in Congress that will specialize in dealing with various pieces of this funding, you know, for defense, for natural resources, for, uh, you know, the uh, you know, Medicare and Social Security, the, you know, those administrations, things like that. So there are about a dozen separate bills uh, dealing more in more specialized ways with all these things uh, that I that are supposed to get passed, you know, through the House and then the Senate and signed into law by the president every year. Um, but you know, they they often don't get done, and the the Senate can come up the works by saying, "Well, we understand you passed a bill, House, but we don't like your bill." We're not going to pass. Right. You know, so that's what's been going on. So the House has passed four of those roughly dozen bills, uh, including, and they will point it out to you, funding our defense, for example, funding our soldiers and our veterans. Uh, Very important stuff. Uh, But there are others that are that are still out there. Uh, So those aren't done. And, you know, the Republicans now, the House of Representatives, because we only have an acting speaker, Patrick McHenry, uh, can't do its usual work. And you can certainly, you know, about half the country says, well, your usual work is garbage. So, you know, <laughs> the heck with it. <laughs> right. But, right. I totally get it. But, you know, yep. it's like, yeah, but half the country doesn't think that. So, you know, so this is where we are, unfortunately. So, you know, what happens is stop gaps are done, and they, they pass the stop gap, uh, so-called, you know, omnibus in some form. And that's just like, okay, we're just going to fund everything on an ongoing basis. We're not going to change anything. We're not going to change any budgets. We're not going to cut any programs. We're just going to keep the status quo for another X amount of time. So they right. have everything funded for about another month at this point. Uh you know, but we've, as as we all know, there is a, a you know large, uh, significant conflict blowing up in uh, the Middle right. East. Uh, you know, there are things on which we need the Congress to weigh in, and under uh, an acting speaker, about the only thing the acting speaker can do is call Congress into and out of session, basically. So uh, this is a problem, and it becomes. I, I understand it's ge- genesis, but it becomes a big. A political problem for the Republicans, and strategically, it's just dumb. And we we have enough of a contingent of Republicans in the House uh, majority who say, I don't care about our PR. I don't care about 
the mechanics of government. I am standing firm right now and saying, no, this is, you know, you cannot proceed. And it's like, that's wonderful, but strategically, so, that's bad. Nan, let me, let me ask you this, because is one of the problems here, I, I, and I don't know if I've discussed this on the show yet, but the, the, the problem of, of self-aggrandizement or self-promotion as a yeah. motivating factor for members of Congress, but also sure. because now that now that every member has their own like major platform where they can they can interact directly with the American people in in a in, yeah. a, in a way where things where they're, the driving way to get notice is to go viral, it means right. that leadership can't exercise any you know the the control that they might otherwise That's have had in the past. <laughs> Yeah, we'll talk about talk about how 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 a, any leader might exercise discipline yeah. when you have members showing up painting their chests with big scarlet letters in oh, in a, some way, weird. That A stands for attention. Yes, <laughs> <As> if, <laughs> I want attention. Yes, and yeah. so let's let's talk about that. I mean, what can a leader do in order to sort of foster some sense of discipline within his caucus? It's it's, it's a great question, and certainly I witnessed a lot of that firsthand, and, you know, not to toot my own horn, but also I represent a swing district, so that made it right. easy politically. But, you know, I wanted to, uh, you know, my attitude was, and I'm a doctor, I know you, you know, you get what you get, and you have to proceed as best you can. You know, you don't get to live in fantasy world. Um, so, it, yeah, what does a leader do? Well, you know, the challenge really is, it's and it's, I mean, yes, it, it is a, a media and messaging challenge, and you're right, with the proliferation of social media, folks like a Matt Gates, who otherwise might be an obscure crank from Florida, uh, you know, becomes a, a media star, especially since, you know, left-wing media loves people like Matt Gates. Good. He's, he's, right. He's goofing up the Republican side. Let's give him a big platform. Um, you know, whatever justification he may have. I didn't disagree with him about the incontinence of the federal fisc. I just, you know, disagree with him vehemently on, you know, how best to move forward, which is, you know, not a satisfying, you know, one-step answer, unfortunately. we got to put more Republican butts in seats. Oh, and that means you have to strategize politically. But anyway, uh, the, you know, the, the House majority leadership can ob- obviously, uh, you know, promise concessions to certain people, uh, to try to bring them along. Used to be a lot was done via earmarks. Uh, Republicans sure. tend to, and I too was, uh, when I was in the House majority in the 112th Congress, we said, no, we're not earmarking, which means, hey, we're going to send some funds to your district and your name, and you're going to, you know, you're going to be a star. Right. Uh, and you'd be amazed how many people think that's a great idea. You know, that talk about self-aggrandizement, right. ding, 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 right? So if you don't have that tool, which the Republicans don't, you know, or the tool of saying, you think you're going to get funds to your district, buddy? Think again. You know, that right. doesn't really exist. So then it comes down to, you know, rules and, you know, like, you know, well, one, we're going to make it so that one person can call the whole thing, uh, you know, call the whole question. Hello, Mr. Right. Gates, you know, right? Uh, you know, one person can depose the speaker effectively. If, of course, they have to have other people come along with them. But instead of getting a substantial number of people to make this very grave decision. Now it's down to one person. Um, and, you know, I, I, it's honestly, uh, Andrew, I, it is, it's a very difficult problem to solve. I mean, the, you know, the, really the means that we did was, you know, you try to appeal to, appeal to reason. You know, we would all get together and, you know, say, look, 
uh, you know, we, we all share the same goals, but we, we have to strategize together to get there. Here are the risks that we take by going down, sure. you know, path A versus here are the benefits for all of us and, you know, for the nation we love, which is really what this is about, by going down path B. And you hope that it persuades hearts and minds. Uh, but, you know, clearly we are seeing that it's not because and here's and you know this very well, Andrew, 200 members right. uh, of that House Republican conference were fine proceeding along a more what I would call a more functional path. Right. <laughs> yes. 200 people who were willing to do that. In fact, more than 200. Uh, but there were, you know, eight people who said, nope, not doing that. For, right. and, and the reasons are diverse uh, among that eight. Uh, but, you know, it, 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 they're enough to, hey. to uh, down us all, unfortunately. Hey. Nan, and unfortunately, we have to leave it there. I'm going to use that phrase, the incontinence of the federal fisc. Thank you so very much for joining us today. <laughs> it's a privilege always, Andrew. Thank uh, you. Nan Hayworth, uh, she joined us on the Newsmax Hotline, former member of Congress from the great state of New York, a medical doctor. I'm Andrew Langer, in for Rob, uh, right here on the Rob Carson Show. You know, that's the thing, is that, uh, you know, Nan, having been there, offers us such a great perspective on these things. And again, right, we might not agree on, on some of the details, but she, at least she's speaking from a, a place of, of experience, and she has a sense as to how this might be playing more generally. I am deeply, deeply troubled uh, by a political milieu which is driven by uh, who can have the hottest take at any particular time. For those of you unfamiliar with the concept of the hot take, right? the hot take is when somebody has a reaction to something and they take a, contra- a controversial position uh, because they know it will get them attention. Right, they want to be the most clever person, and they know that it will then go viral. Um, and and what Nan and I were talking about towards the end here is that if that is your motivating factor, and you don't have any check, and you don't have to go through anybody in order to get your message out in a way that has that mass appeal. Uh, so not that not that a member of Congress shouldn't be able to get their own message out without having to go through leadership. You know, but on the other hand, there's got to be a balance here. The way I think about it is this, right? And I don't know what the mechanism is. I'll be honest with all of you. I, I, I genuinely don't know what the mechanism is. Um, you know, in football, right? We, we, you know, we got football coming up, college football this weekend, NFL this weekend. In football, you can challenge a uh, um, you can challenge a referee's call on the field. But if the if you if you lose out on that challenge, you 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 lose a timeout. There are consequences for your for your action. And, and certainly, this has gone one way, right? If 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 your speaker and you're not handling the speakership the way that the masses want you to do it, not even the masses, but these eight members want you to do it, and they can go in and throw their lot in with the minority party uh, to oust you. Well then, right. So there you go. That's your consequences, Speaker. Uh, that is that is the check on your power. But the question then becomes: What is the check on the power of this one person? And I'm, well, to be clear, I am someone who believes fundamentally in when you in a system in which you have power, and that power has to be balanced somehow. That we do protect the rights of the minority to be heard. Right. Ultimately, for instance, in our constitutional system, if the majority believes that we can uh, go and wholesale 
violate the political rights of some political minority or even the, a political minority of one person, the Constitution is what balances that out. So when we have this kind of a system, and of course, you know, there are there are you know there are degrees with within that as to as to how we sort of look at things that's where all just law comes from is sort of how we how we examine that balancing of rights but in the end we have to think about that there has to be some kind of check on the power of a of a relative few people to foment the the chaos and this is where i disagree with my buddy jerry on these things because i do believe that it is chaos. I said this to him on the Andrew and Jerry Save the World podcast because Jerry makes the point, tries to make the point, and I'm going to put words in his mouth, but I think I'm accurately f- reflecting what he says that that it's been that that it's been chaotic. It's been chaos like this for the last certainly quarter century, little more than a quarter century, almost a half century. And as I pointed out to him, well, just because it's been this way, just because it's been chaotic since the 1990s for the last 30 years or in certain ways going back even longer that doesn't mean that it's not chaotic today and that doesn't mean that it's not wrong that we need to have some sense of of order in our civil society gonna tease the next hour when we return i am andrew langer in for rob carson this is the rob carson show well we are back everybody hi I am Andrew Langer in for Rob today. <laughs> oh, I apologize, guys. So much, so much chaos happening here right now, and I'm getting to it. So glad you can join me. I can join you. You can join the conversation, as I've said. One eight hundred nine two two six six eight zero. That's how you get a hold of us here at the Rob Carson Show. You can send us messages on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Facebook.com/slash Andrew Langer Show is how you message me here. Um, uh, also on Twitter, at Andrew underscore Langer. Uh, I got this here, and I want to read this. This is from listener Dan, writes in Andrew. I've heard a lot of people opining that this is a stupid move to remove the speaker and if it's not, and that it's not strategic, but I haven't heard a reason why. McCarthy didn't do his job, and so he was fired. People point to the current crisis in Israel, but no one could predict that. Most Americans do not pay attention to current events, so they have no idea what's going on. So how is this a strategic failure? Okay, listen, and these are good questions, Dan, and and I I'm glad you I'm glad you asked them because we can we can sort of we can get into this. So let's be really clear about this. It's not that McCarthy didn't do his job for the vast majority of the Republican caucus, the folks who are responsible for electing him. Now, we can talk about issues of returning to regular order and failing to deliver on promises and whether or not uh, McCarthy was being aggressive enough uh, in the face of you know pushing back against the Democrats. The reality is that for the vast majority, so roughly 96% of the Republicans in Congress, they supported McCarthy. Now, they may have been unhappy around the margins, but they wanted to retain him in office. What you had was eight Republicans who were unhappy, and then you have another 200 or so Democrats who took advantage of those eight Republicans' unhappiness to foment further chaos here. That's a problem. Right. It's 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 not the no Republican speaker is ever going to do a job that the Democrats approve of. So when you hand Democrats an opportunity to remove a Republican speaker, um, they're going to they're going to take that opportunity and they're going to run with it for a whole host of reasons. Uh, Not the least of which is that it makes the Republicans in Congress look like a bunch of 
horse's rear ends or donkeys or whatever you want to say donkeys and i can mean that in in, in a punny way um and and that's 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 a problem uh now from a structural position as nan hayworth was talking about there are things that need to get done and you are correct in that no one could have predicted the crisis in israel but the reality is there are things that happen and we 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 have to be deep thinkers about such things you know, I, I, I'll, 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 I'll quote something. I, I haven't quoted it on this show because I haven't hosted on this show yet. But if you've listened to me in the past, any of you have listened to me, you know that I quote the Supreme Court case, New York versus United States, quite a bit. You're all going to hear it again. The Constitution protects us from our own best intentions. It, divide, uh, it divides power among sovereigns and among branches of government precisely so that you might resist the temptation to concentrate power in one branch as the expedient solution to the crisis of the day. Now, on its face, what what they're talking about is that just because something is in a crisis mode, that doesn't mean that you need to create new policies because those policies can be destructive, and you're engaging in policies uh, without without thinking, um, and and they can be durable. But on the other hand, it, 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 in a much deeper perspective, it is an admonition. It is a warning to policymakers that they have to think deeply that the whole purpose of a constitution which divides power among sovereigns and among branches and slows down the process is that you are supposed to think long and hard before you act to make changes that can have an impact so you're right we we don't have a we we, no one could have predicted I'm sorry. Somebody probably could have predicted, and there were folks who were probably were predicting that Hamas was going to was going to launch this sneak attack against Israel but um uh, but uh, um, the reality is there are always crises that may pop up, and we need our elected officials to be more cognizant of that when they things, again, simply because they're trying to draw attention to themselves or they want something to go viral. Uh, I, I, you know, I would, I would have a great deal more respect for what Matt Gates was doing if Matt Gates didn't immediately start fundraising off of it. That's, that's a problem. You know, Marty points out, and I and I and I think this is this is an, this is an important point here, um, and this is why I love having Marty as a listener. Is that and Marty rightly points out that that in the absence of a Speaker of the House, if something uh, bad were to happen in terms of the succession of office, um, it would go it would go from uh, the 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 Vice President to the Speaker of the House to the President pro tempore of the Senate to the Secretary of State, and so on. And so forth. He's got the whole the whole list here, um, and and that is and that is true. Nevertheless, it's listen. I think it's a sign that there's something fundamentally wrong. That if the only reason why the Speaker of the House cannot serve is because there is chaos happening in House leadership, and we are between speakers when something else happens in terms of our government, that's a that's a problem there. So uh, I, I thank you, Dan. It's a, it's a good message, and I'm glad you sent it in. Uh, we spent some time uh, uh, talking about it uh, uh, there. So that's that's a, that's a good thing. So I want to get back to this, uh, uh, the situation in Israel, um, and how it's playing out here at home, and and how our kids are being taught. Uh, so Brian, I, I want you to get ready with with a couple of those clips that we were talking about here. Um, there was this meeting at the Fairfax County School Board. And for those of you who who, who weren't around earlier uh, or, or forget um, this is a meeting that happened last night 
and and I and I'm 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 interested in it because Fairfax County has really been ground zero in a lot of our discussions as a nation in terms of woke policies and in terms of this parental rights movement. Fairfax County is the county that is being sued over affirmative action policies by Asian American students who are not uh, who are being discriminated against in terms of access to their magnet schools like uh, the high school Thomas Jefferson High School of Science and Technology. It's also a place where there's been grand experimentation in this sort of DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion policy, and CRT, in terms of dumbing down standards for students. So where this all comes together, and actually let me set it up here, because we know that these things are happening. Yet the minority leader of the Virginia House of Delegates, a delegate named Don Scott, uh, he went on on TV, I don't remember, I want to say it was MSNBC, I don't recall offhand. He went on TV to, to talk about the parental rights movement. Here's what he had to say. But they've not done anything to advance that while at the same time going backwards on teaching history, on making these fake cultural wars on our children, by having teacher tip lines where they turn parents against teachers, children snitching, teacher snitch lines, having children snitching on their teachers in the classroom. Uh, for, first of all... <laughs> First of all, aren't you aren't you glad if I'm if I'm the Democratic Party in Virginia, I, I'm go, I'm just glad that he's there. He's their spokesman. I mean, there's a guy who who sounds thoughtful and articulate and is just the kind of guy I want to help when my state is going from uh, red to to purple to blue. He's the guy that I want at the masthead. Uh, he just you know it it you know it's amazing. Oh, the children snitching on people, amazing. Um, you know something? Guess what? Uh, we. <laughs> This this is not some kind of secret cabal, some kind of uh, um, uh, fraternity of the stone, uh, some kind of uh, uh, you know a skull and bones society, uh, where the things that are done in the classroom are done in secret. Parents have a fundamental right to know what's going on in classrooms, and and there 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 there, as I said very early on in this show today. We should always be nervous and concerned and suspicious when teachers are trying to create uh, an air of secrecy between them and their students, uh, especially when it comes to things of a sexual nature. In fact, we as a society should make sure that that does not happen. And I think we have as a society have taken steps to create policies where it has been explicit in that way that this should not happen. Yet here is where we are. So no... It is not a, a fake culture war. It's a very real one in which one side is, is pushing for greater parental involvement and making sure the parents are aware of what's going on with their kids, and another side which is trying to step in between a parent and their child. Now, case in point here in terms of this culture war is the thing that happened at the Fairfax County School Board meeting last night. Uh, so you have the school board member, Abrar Omish, who is very taken aback uh, that how how dare the Fairfax County School Board have a moment of silence uh, in honor of the victims of, of horrific terrorist acts in Israel uh, in the last week. And she went on. Yeah, let's go and let's hear from Thank her. Thank you. Um, I wasn't expecting what seemed to be a sneak attack after we had discussed uh, making sure we represent all children in the ways that we speak and when we speak. Um, so it's disappointing that my colleagues would do that behind my back after conversations that I had with them. Um, Let's pause and- there for a moment, Brian. Um, if you can pause it, I hope you can. 
So, so she uses the phrase sneak attack. And as I said early on, and I'm going to repeat it now, if you are someone who is upset about a moment of silence uh, for a terrorist attack that was committed as a sneak attack in which women were raped, people were kidnapped, and babies were beheaded, maybe, just maybe, you don't use the phrase sneak attack to complain about it. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a little, that's a little untoward. Let's keep going. Saying that a statement represents everybody's views. Um, but many are thinking about the incredible devastation and human suffering unfolding today in Israel and Palestine. And we mourn the loss of hundreds of innocent civilians killed and homes destroyed this week alone and the thousands over the decades. All right, all pause it there. Have- and we're going to come back to this in a second. We, we mourn the innocent lives lost. Oh, okay, uh, this week, she says. So what she's referring to are, are the, the uh, so-called Palestinians uh, killed in Gaza in, in, in uh, retaliatory strikes, defensive strikes, by the way, uh, by the Israeli military. Now, how about, again, the babies who were beheaded? How about we take a moment and mourn for them? without it being uh, 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 completely convoluted, gummed up by your extremist agenda, your anti-Semitic agenda. We're going to come back to this in a second. I'm Andrew Langer, uh, in for Rob Carson. This is The Rob Carson Show. Well, you better run for the jungle. Hi, everybody. I'm Andrew Langer, and I am in for Rob Carson today. Uh, thank you very much for letting me join you. Uh, Listen, we're talking about uh, we're talking about uh, uh, this uh, culture war. Uh, we're talking about this school board meeting that happened in Fairfax County, Virginia, and this school board member. Uh, her name is uh, uh, Abrar Omish, and she's very unhappy that they had a moment of silence uh, to uh, commemorate the, the 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 death of of innocent people, the kidnapping of innocent people, the rape of women, the beheading of babies. She she's she is uh, taken aback by this. Uh, and is essentially trying to play the equivocation game. Uh, let's continue with uh, with what uh, Ms. Uh, Omish had to say. And the thousands over decades, all of whom should have been prevented. It might seem simple, aggressors attacking families in a state seeking vengeance. But we often sympathize with and humanize the side that we relate to and the side that looks more like us or that our biases guide us towards. But doing so obscures the root of the violence. All right, let's stop, let's stop there because we're going to come back to the, the root of the violence. Um, no, how, how about this much? How about we sympathize with the side that has been disproportionately victimized? And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, until I, I see videos of uh, Israeli soldiers, again, beheading babies, you know, raping women, kidnapping people, and holding them for ransom... Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna sympathize with the people who are having that perpetrated against them, not the ones doing the perpetration. You're right, uh, Miss uh, uh, Omish. This could have been solved years ago, but maybe just maybe if uh, Hamas and the so-called Palestinians. And why do I say so-called Palestinians? Because up until uh, fairly recently, there was no such thing as a Palestinian. The Palestinian is an invented term. You know, they, these these are people who could have a role in Israeli society, but they don't want that. They want to destroy this society. They want to see all of the Jews killed. And, and the nation of Israel wiped off the face of the earth and Jews along with them. 
You know, so so sure, you wanna you wanna you wanna solve this problem, that then, then stop engaging in terroristic activities. It's really just that simple. So then she goes on to talk about the roots of the violence. Let's uh, let's uh, let's keep going there. Centuries of human history teach us that escalations happen when problems are ignored, realities are denied, and voices are censored. When one narrative right. dominates from the world stage all the way to our classrooms. We do our students no favors by calling for peace and being unwilling to back what peace requires. Okay, stop, stop, stop. So, so, so she, she makes this statement about, about uh, what, what peace requires. You know something? You know what peace requires? I know I'm going to come back to it. It's a point that I'm going to keep hammering. You know what peace requires? Not decapitating babies. I mean, it goes beyond that. But how about as a basic precept... Um, 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 we, we don't call for the decapitation of babies. We don't call for the rape of our enemies. We don't call for the kidnapping of our enemies. H how about we don't parachute into or paraglide into a music festival and start machine gunning down people? Escalations happen. I mean, that is, you know, and if we're talking about teaching our kids things, Somehow that is supposed to be taught as, as acceptable, that it's merely an escalation in the face of, of a long-standing brutality. I'm sorry, Miss Omish. In no civilized world is that considered acceptable in terms of ramping things up as a response. And the idea that this woman sits as a member of the Fairfax County Board of Education is astounding to me. Then she goes on to, to continue the lie. Let's, let's keep going here. As the old civil rights adage goes, no justice, no peace. When we're unwilling to call out the global human rights what global human rights organizations have called an apartheid regime of occupation that has been violating international agreements year after year and killing thousands of innocent civilians over decades, we are lying to our children. Stop. All right, full stop. Full stop. No. Now, again, there's the lie. Because she starts appealing to international human rights organizations. Well, first of all, the human rights organizations have been thoroughly corrupted. Uh, and, and the U.N. and the U.N. system has been thoroughly corrupted, again, by entities that want to see Israel destroyed. So when you have actors who are not honest actors serving in these capacities, passing judgment on a society that is simply trying to survive, it, it is basic Marxist dialectic, and I'm not, I'm not using that term indiscriminately here, to sort of create, to synthesize the conflict here, and then to state that it is a reality. That's, that's classic Marx. It's to sit down and say, okay, we are going to go and we are going to submarine uh, this narrative, create our own narrative, and then make that the reality. Right? These are the kinds of organizations that would say that Israel going and defending itself, that's a war crime, but we're going to excuse the beheading of babies. I know I keep hammering on that point. Let's go to the last, uh, the last bit here, uh, Brian. Let's Don't give space to hear the Palestinian narrative. We buy into a rhetoric that negates not only the humanness of Palestinians, but justifies the indiscriminate retaliation against the population. Okay, when stop. That, that's it. We can stop it there justifies the indiscriminate retaliation. Hey, guess what? Maybe if you hadn't been parachuting into music festivals to machine gun people, maybe if you weren't kidnapping people, maybe if you weren't raping women, and maybe if you weren't murdering and beheading babies, 
Maybe the retaliation wouldn't be so indiscriminate. Maybe there wouldn't be need for any retaliation at all. Guys, I've been wanting to do that all day. I, I, I just, it, it's a situation in which I heard this and my blood pressure boiled. And so I, I'm going to use the appreciation word, I appreciate the opportunity that you've given me to sit down and go through that. It is incredibly cathartic. We're going to talk about this with Phil Kirpin. Uh, Phil Kirpin from American Commitment is going to join us in just a moment. Also want to hear from you. I want to know what you think of what uh, uh, Miss uh, Abrar Omish had to say. 1-800-922-6680, 1-800-922-6680. You can send me a message on Facebook, facebook.com slash Andrew Langer Show, or on Twitter at Andrew underscore Langer on Twitter. I am Andrew Langer. I am in for Rob Carson, and this, of course, is The Rob Carson Show. We are back, everybody. I am Andrew Langer uh, in for Rob Carson today. Uh, so glad I can join you because that's really what this is about. It's about me getting the opportunity to sit down with you on a Friday afternoon, Friday the 13th, uh, to talk about what's going on in the world. I hope for those of you who haven't heard from me before that you've been enjoying uh, what I've had, what I've been laying down for you here on a, on a, on a, Friday, the, on a Friday afternoon. Joining me right now, uh, my old buddy, uh, uh, he is uh, uh, Phil Kirpin. He is from... American Commitment and the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. He's a founder of both organizations. He's joining us on the Newsmax hotline. And, Phil, listen, when I knew I was going to be doing this show today, I knew I had to reach out to you because there's so much going on here. Um, So were you surprised to find out last night that Scalise was pulling out of the speaker's race? When are we going to get a new speaker, Phil Kirpin, and will that speaker be you? Uh, probably not me. Um, I, I don't know. You know, it's a, it's a very strange thing. You know, we've yes. never had this. We've never had this new sort of rule that uh, you know small groups of people will veto the speaker, and uh, you know it needs to be nearly unanimous given you know how small the majority is, and so they're struggling. And I did not, I did not expect Scalise to drop out. That was a surprise. I'm sure you saw that. Uh, Austin Scott is now running for speaker. Yes. Uh, who I think I've heard of once or twice, but is not exactly uh, someone that you would think of as a potential speaker. So, And and he was asked about it, and he said something like, yeah, I didn't think I was going to run for speaker today, but, uh, you know, why not? Or something. Oh, why not? You know, something, it's, 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 uh, it's, uh, it's like me when I used to, you know, reach out to potential guests. Well, you know, why not? They may say yes. You never know. You know, it's, it's, I'm sorry, go ahead, Phil. It's uh, it's a it's not a good situation. I'll put it right. that way. I mean, uh, you know, look, um, I thought that Kevin McCarthy was not great. He was sort of okay as speaker. Um, you could argue he did the best anyone could do in the circumstance. Uh, although I think that he would have been much better served setting the top lines for approach early in the year and demanding that the bills be produced and bringing them to the floor. Here, here. I mean, you all get caught up in debt ceiling and all the rest of that. I mean, that said, uh, if you're going to take him out, um, I don't know how you turn around then and then say, you know, I, you know, absolutely not Steve Scalise. I mean, Steve Scalise would have had absolute moral authority on everything. The guy was actually shot by a Bernie Sanders. <laughs> exactly my point. Yes. So, I mean, I don't know how, and he's, yeah, I don't think, can't think of any issues he isn't solid on. So I don't know what their objection was to him. Uh, Jim Jordan is pretty 
pretty terrific on everything I could think of. So right. I don't know who's objecting to him. So I don't really know where they're going. It's, um, I mean, I'd basically be fine with any of them, but I, it's a bad situation. And, of course, you know, we have a House of Representatives that's essentially paralyzed at a time where the world is sort of at, at peak, uh, you know, terror, if you will. Right. And so it's, uh, it's very bad timing, and it's very unfortunate that they haven't been able to resolve it. That said, you know, at some point they will resolve it. And like the earlier speaker controversies around Kevin McCarthy, it'll be pretty quickly forgotten. So uh, let's just hope they get, get it done. Right. And, that, and that's you're absolutely correct, because we are we are living in the moment and the moment happens to be a very difficult one. You know, listen, Phil, I just I just got through and I started playing. I don't know if you saw this on social media, uh, this uh, uh, speech that was given last night by the uh, by a member of the Fairfax County Board of Education, uh, Abrar Omish. Have you seen this? Uh, the woman very upset by the fact that they uh, that they had a moment of silence for the victims of terror. Did, did, have you have you seen this at all? She objected. She objected to the moment of silence. So I believe yes. they did not have them. I think a moment of silence is uh, normally done unanimously, and so her objection, I think, prevented them from observing a moment of but, silence. It's pretty remarkable. Phil, let's talk a little bit about this because I just went through and I talked about the issues of of the the, the false narratives that are being pushed by the apologists for the Palestinians. Um, and this idea that there's some sort of moral equivalence that is at work here, especially if the if the Israelis turn around to defend themselves. Uh, talk, talk about this from your perspective. Well, first of all, let me just preface that these uh, comments and views are personal. They're not any of the groups I work with, which right. are all economic focus. I really, you know, I don't, I don't do foreign policy as a professional matter, but sure. I am a Jewish person who has a lot of feelings and thoughts about right. this. Uh, so I, given that preface, I'm happy to talk about it, but don't uh, associate it with my organization. Sure. Um, look, I mean, this has been, this has been 75 years, uh, essentially, yeah. of this same conflict. And it's been 75 years of this conflict because the Arabs for destruction of Israel is to maintain a permanently dispossessed refugee group to, that can be cultivated for their resentment and can be used to, you know, sort of manipulate world opinion against Israel. And when the Jews were kicked out of all of the Arab countries in 1948, they all went to Israel. When yeah. there were refugee flows going the other way, a significant number of them were kept in a permanent refugee status, essentially. And, you know, 75 years later, their numbers have grown significantly. And I don't think it's a, you know, I think it's indicative of the 75-year strategy and issue that the border between Gaza and Egypt remains closed completely tight, and they will not take any fleeing Gazans. At the same time, you know, the world is saying, you know, how dare they tell, you know, tell Gazans to flee their homes if they don't want to be, you know, uh, swept up in the Israeli counteroffensive. And but it's, uh, it's a very unfortunate situation because we have literally millions of people whose existence for 75 years has been cultivated to use them as a cudgel against the existence of a Jewish state. And that is always the issue. That is always what is at stake. It is not, uh, you know, it is not low-grade conflict. It is not, you know, they, all of these things are symptoms. But in a, the, the Arab world, by and large, does not accept that a Jewish state is a thing that should exist. And frankly, the responses that we've seen all over the world, including on college campuses and other places in the United States, underscore precisely why a Jewish state must exist. 
Because right. anti-Semitism is with us everywhere in all of history for thousands of years. And it's, uh, you know, it's across the political spectrum and it's in all geographic places. And, you know, don't tell me that we could never have a Holocaust here. I mean, these things happen repeatedly everywhere through history. And if you don't have the refuge of, an, of a Jewish state that exists, then, uh, then the Jewish people have no uh, recourse when circumstances so, deteriorate in other places. So I, I think it's, uh, it's a little bit difficult to express to Gentiles what this past week has been like, uh, because, you know, there's thousands of years of history. I mean, there's the 75-year history of this particular Arab-Israeli right. conflict, but there are thousands of years of history before that of repeated op- oppression and dispossession and exile, and uh, it's... Um, you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of everything. It's kind of right, everything. right, right. How many how many Jews have migrated to America? Or migrated to America uh, a century ago, or, or you know, in, within the last century, because they were being persecuted in whatever country they happen to be in, whether it's you know whether it was it, whether it was Russia or Central European nations or, or what have you. I, but Phil, let me let me turn our attention to, to something else because you you mentioned the issue of economics. Um, Let's talk about the issue of not just energy independence, but energy dominance. You know, the fact that America was energy dominant between 2017 and 2021 meant that we could flex our foreign policy muscle in areas like the Middle East and bring some semblance of peace. Talk about the relationship between energy dominance and our our foreign policy successes. Well, you know, the, the Biden administration likes to say, hey, we obviously are pro-oil and gas because U.S. production is at an all-time high. And that is a fallacy. It's true that U.S. production is at an all-time high, but it is a much lower all-time high than it would be if they did not have 100 different anti-oil and gas policies. And that's because what's driven production to stay, you know, at, a, at an all-time high, and it's up very slightly from the Trump high, but, but not much, what is the price. The world price has been very high, and when the world price is high, all of the rigs that you have are going to be producing, essentially. Uh, but what we've not seen is the rise that was happening so rapidly under the Trump administration. That, ri- that rise stopped. and We sort of leveled off at this kind of all-time high level, but just barely an all-time high. And um, Casey Mulligan from the University of Chicago did an analysis of what U.S. production would be if we had continued with Trump policies and, uh, you know, basically we'd allowed the market to respond, we'd allowed the supply side to respond to the price signal of the rising world price, and we'd also had continued productivity gains uh, on the trend line that they had been on. And he says we'd be, we'd be producing two to three million barrels more per day than the current wow. production level. So, I mean, we're talking, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. And, right. Um, you look at what the Biden administration has done. So they've got domestic policies that have had a significant negative impact on production. So the, the high is not anywhere near what it should be. Um, and then they've sort of turned to the worst regimes in the world to meet the world's oil needs. And so, I mean, Iran's got something like $80 billion of oil revenue because of the weakening of sanctions since uh, right. Biden's been in. And everyone wants to obsess about you know, this, this particular $6 billion that was encumbered in a, in a bank that, that they were going to release, and maybe they're going to refreeze there. Okay, but that's a small portion of what they've already been allowed right. in oil revenues because of the weakening of sanctions. And so that's a significant source of revenue for, you know, the major regime that finances all of these terrorist entities uh, throughout the region. And um, 
Biden's also reportedly in negotiation with Venezuela to, to buy oil from them. I've seen multiple headlines about that. And so, you know, I think that when you have this idea that, uh, you know, and then, of course, the other thing is you've got uh, a very confused administration. They want to keep talking about how, hey, uh, oil is all time high. We're not anti oil. But they also want to talk about how we're going to force a transition to electric vehicles and we're not going to right. produce and we're and we're banning oil and gas leases in Alaska and we're restricting federal lands. And so whenever they're doing all their many anti-oil things, and I think our friend Tom Pyle at Institute for Energy Research is up to 150 or 200 different anti-oil and gas actions of this administration. He keeps a running list. Um, you know, and whenever they brag about those, it's because it's saving us from global warming and it's necessary and it's right. wonderful. Uh, and then people complain about how expensive gasoline is, and they say, what do you mean? We're totally pro-oil and gas. Look, it's a record high. <laughs> you know, not telling you that it's a record high that's much lower than what it would and could be based on the world price and uh, the, the trajectory of productivity gains. And so I think that uh, the anti-oil and gas, anti-fossil fuel uh, policies of this administration have been extremely harmful economically, and they've been one of the drivers of the prices of everything rising, along with the bad, bad monetary policy and you know all the other things that are going on, how to control federal spending that's driving the money printing at the Fed, uh, being the proximate cause of that. But um, it also has, to your point, major geostrategic implications, because right. what happens is the president... Yeah, and, and by the way, the other thing he's the other thing he did to get through the 2022 cycle is he massively depleted the strategic petroleum reserve, and so we've got. To, I think we're down to like 17 days, and so if you did actually have some huge disruption, and let's say you had a major terrorist incident at a U.S. field, or you had, uh, in, you know, uh, the, the war in the Middle East uh, escalates to direct conflict in Israel and Iran, whatever it is, and we have a need to mobilize militarily, and we've got to meet that need with reserve petroleum because production's been disrupted, you know, we would have enough for 17 days. You know, I mean, it's right. never been that low. It's never it's, been it's... that low, and he did that to win an election. And by the way, Trump wanted to top it off. He was going to buy 77 million barrels in March 2020 when the spot price was basically zero. And yes. Chuck Schumer blocked him because he called it a, quote, big oil bailout. There, there, we, as we can. Listen, Phil, we got to let you go there. Uh, American Commitment, the Committed to Unleashed Prosperity. Sign up for their daily email. You will not regret it. Phil, thank you so very much for joining us on the Newsmax Hotline today. Good, sir. All right. Have a good one, Andrew. Take take care. That was Phil Kirpin. Yeah, Phil Kirpin, American Commitment, the Committed to Unleashed Prosperity, both organizations you should go and check out today. I'm Andrew Langer. This is The Rob Carson Show. So I want to take a moment of personal privilege here uh, while I'm while I'm on to talk about some of the other work that I do. As I said, you know, as you've if you've, as you've heard me say, I, I do a couple of podcasts. Andrew and Jerry Save the World with Jerry Rogers, who joined us in the first hour. Uh, the uh, the lunch hour with Federal Newswire, which is my interview show that I that I do. It's a weekly show. I would get in depth on public policy. Um, I may be adding another show uh, to that on regulation because that's that's you know professionally beyond the radio work the media work that i do i'm i'm, I'm someone who has a, an academic and activist interest in the regulatory side of things uh, and the impact of regulation on the american economy and so back in july um i took on a role with uh, with cpac the conservative political action coalition the folks who put on the big cpac conference every year uh, and i run their center for regulatory freedom 
which is the, the idea is to take a look at these regulatory proposals that are coming out and talk about their impact on the American economy. It gets into what Phil was talking about in terms of oil issues. One of the things that we did over the summer uh, was file comments on one of these rulemakings having to do with offshore drilling and talking about the relationship between uh, the Biden administration cutting production uh, and, and, uh, and how that impacts gas prices. And so we did we did our analysis there, and I've worked with Phil on on a couple of different things. Um, we're going to be doing we're going to be doing more uh, of this, and, and so you know these things have an impact, and and it, these are important issues. I I sort of I go and look at one of the things we're dealing with is the issue of I'm going to say surrealistic metrics, and what I mean by that is that the Democrats have moved away from. We talked about this again with Jerry the the idea of moving away from objective truth. The idea that there has to be some kind of rational, truthful basis in terms of the decisions that we make. And so by evidence of this, for instance, I look at the tweet earlier today uh, from Paul Krugman, yesterday from Paul Krugman, uh, a, a supposed Nobel laureate, he's an op-ed columnist, talking about uh, um, the consumer price index and, and inflation. And yesterday he tweets out again this situation that uh, the war on inflation is, is over, we won at very little cost. And he's looking at the consumer price index, but he excludes food, energy, shelter, and used cars. Guess what? These are essentials that everybody needs and uses in America. Right? When you take those things out and you talk about things that are not food, energy, shelter, and used cars, it's things that have maybe an ancillary impact on the average American's life. And so, you know, this is the this is the work that I'm doing. This is what the Biden administration wants. They they want to be able to push policies that have no rational rooting in how much they cost the economy. They don't care about cost. All they care about are benefits. And even when they talk about benefits, they have to make up the benefits. And that's not exaggerating. That's not overstating it. Go and Google something called Circular A4, guys. I'm about to do an op-ed on this. Um, it's all about, in the end, getting rid of having to assess what the costs of a regulation are and assigning huge uh, nebulous benefits to these regulations. Some final thoughts when we return. I'm Andrew Langer. This is The Rob Carson Show. Well, guys, it has been a thin slice of heaven. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Please, I gotta tell you, if you have enjoyed my being on the air, please let the guys at Newsmax know how much you enjoyed seeing me. Uh, remember, my name is Andrew Langer, L-A-N-G-E-R. That's how you spell my last name. Uh, you can go and follow me on Twitter at Andrew underscore Langer. Uh, you can also go uh, check out uh, my Facebook page, uh, the uh, uh, Facebook.com slash Andrew Langer Show. Uh, also, we have one for Andrew and Jerry Save the World, a Facebook page there. As I said, I host uh, those shows. I do the Lunch Hour with Federal Newswire, and I do this work for the uh, Conservative Political Action Coalition, uh, CPAC. Go and check them out, uh, CPAC.org. Uh, we got a new piece up. In fact, we just filed comments this week. The Biden administration is trying to uh, take laws that were designed to protect pregnant women in the workplace and apply them to women who choose to have abortions. The Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, uh, I filed, we filed, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say I, we filed comments on that, the Center for Regulatory Freedom. The Washington Examiner just just did a story there. So go go and check those things out. Drop me a note. Let me know what you think. And by the way, if you didn't, if you didn't like what I did on the show, don't, don't let Newsmax know that. You can let me know. 
I promise I'll tell Newsmax uh, about your criticism. So yeah, I uh, uh, it's been it's been great, guys. There's so much chaos going on in the world uh, and so much danger. Um, so please, by all means, stay safe out there. Uh, that's how I usually end every show. And thanks to the Newsmax team for setting this up. 